Hello, beautiful people, and we are back with another episode. Ah, I really have to like become my own hype person now that Leanne's not here. Before I kind of like flew with her energy, now it's like I need to do my pre-hype thing to like get me ready for the podcast. But I'm learning, I'm learning. I just want to thank you all again for being such a great support, you know, coming in, sharing the podcast. We really, really, really appreciate that. So today's episode is about COVID and cancer. And it's quite a big topic because, well, COVID in itself really shook up the world. Let's not sugarcoat nothing. It was it was a shitstorm. How I imagine it is like you see the world is like a snow globe. And then a little kid come along and it really shook the snow globe. That's what I feel like COVID basically did to the world. And it was a lot just for like the average person. It was a lot, you know, people were struggling with relationships, whether that was to do with like partners, just family members they live with, their children, work colleagues, people were losing their jobs. Like we all know what was going on. And for people who were ill or going through cancer, they were experiencing another side of it as well. For me personally, I was one of those people who were told they were vulnerable and I was meant to like, you know, isolate. I remember getting a letter several times saying, even if you're indoors, that you have to stay two meters away from anyone in your house at all times. Uh, don't go outside, all of these things. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't really stick to it. Only because like, for me, if I isolate myself completely within my house and don't really contact with the people who I live with, it's like I'm acting like I'm not even here in this world. This world is all about socializing. And if I'm not here and I mental sense then it's hard for me to really even coexist but let me not jump into all of that because of my views are just on a completely another level and I don't want to bring all that politicalness into this podcast so what I will do is introduce our first guest Jennifer Cronjay who was first diagnosed with ER positive breast cancer at 31 in 2010 and then eight years later she was told she had a reoccurrence she's a creative who makes jewelry and also bakes cakes and before covid times jen was quite the traveler hi jen how are you today hi i'm good thank you thanks for having me no problem no problem at all so yeah thanks for the intro i thought you'd like that about the cakes and the jewelry <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's me. <laughs> oh, gosh. So can you give us some like, more insight about your journey so far? Yeah. So um, you said a lot of it in the intro. Um, I was first diagnosed in 2010 and um, I went through the usual mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and then hormone-targeted therapy. And then I just tried to get on with my life. And then in 2018... I was originally told it was a reoccurrence and then found out that it actually spread to um, my lungs and my bones. So it was actually metastatic incurable cancer, which was obviously a complete shock to the system and hard Mm. to take in and and absorb. And yeah, like it took a while. It took a while. But eventually I, I put my Thriver hat on and I started, you know, like thinking, you know, like live life, be grateful and just move forward, live the life that you have and all of that. And, and I had so much hope as well. Um, I met so many people that have been thriving with metastatic secondary breast cancer for 10, 15, so even as much as 18 years. So um, I did my best because I was like, if they can live for that long, why can't I, right? So yeah. um, that's what I was thinking. So, so yeah, so I, I started my treatment. My um, treatment was a little tablet, or sorry, two tablets that I took every day. And I take it every day for three weeks on, one week off. And that's what I continue to take for about two years. And during COVID is when I found out that my treatment wasn't working. and I've had to move from my first line treatment and I, I moved hospitals as well amid all of this. 
and started my second line of treatment, which unfortunately after one cycle, I also found that wasn't working. And and then I started my sorry third line of treatment, which yeah. I had one cycle of again wasn't working. So right now I'm in a place where um I'm waiting to start my fourth line of treatment. And yeah, I'm hoping that that's the one and that's the one that's going to get them into regression and get them shrinking. And yeah, that's yeah. What I'm hoping. So yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell, but it's been crazy. It's been, it's been crazy. I, I was always the one that truly believed that um, they would be able to stop my cancer. And I, I, I think I was a little bit complacent and I thought I'd get annoyed when they were like, oh, you're stable. And I was just like, I don't want to be stable. I want my tumors to shrink. Now yeah. I would literally be grateful for them to say, right, you're stable. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but it is what it is. And, you know, um, I've just got to roll with it, I guess. <laughs> I love your take on things. Thank you. I mean, what can you do, right? Like you can either stop, give up or keep going. So I kind of feel like I have no choice but to keep going. So because I want to live, right? So I choose life rather than yeah. not. So, yeah. <laughs> How have you found it, like, going through treatment in these times? Because is it any different from when you went through treatment before? Yes. Um, it's it's not been easy. I mean, obviously, you know, initially when I was still on my first-line treatment, um, I actually stopped going into the hospitals completely. They, you know, we agreed that I wouldn't come in. I'm, I had no scans and my medication was actually sent to me they'd carry it over to me and I'd continue with my medication as is and I actually had to push to get my scan done which which I found that I had progression if I hadn't pushed for it they would have I think waited longer to get my scan done yeah and I ended up moving to another to the Royal Mars in another hospital and um yeah it's different like you like before you go into the hospital you're like you're stopped right by the door you can't take anyone in with you they ask you all the all the COVID questions like have you had a fever? Have you had to cough? Anyone in your house? All of the screening questions before they'll let you in and literally no one is coming in with you. So um, that was hard because initially when I went to the miles and it was potentially to go in for a trial and obviously yeah. trials, so much information and everything's a lot to take in anyway. So ideally it would have been nice to have a family member in there with me to hear or field the questions or, you know, just to be there for support. So that wasn't possible. So you know, you go in, you're always, you're always on your own. And even like I, I started, I ended up starting IV chemotherapy. And in the past when I'd had IV chemotherapy, so that's 10 years ago, yeah. I'd always go in with a different friend. So each week I'd have someone there for company because you can be in there for like six to eight hours, but that's a long day. Yeah. But, you know, can't take anyone in with you. And when you go in, there's like, there's obviously social distancing with your chairs and there's partitions, screens in between you. Um, so even if you want to talk to your neighbour, it's kind of you're shouting at them so they can oh, hear you exactly <laughs> over the beeping chemotherapy IV machines. But yeah, it's hard because, you know, you do, it is important to have support from family and friends. And, you know, it's only, you know, I, obviously I take in a book or I take in my iPad and download a whole load of movies or shows or whatever but it's not the same and yeah you know and also obviously I've had like three times where I've been given bad news that I've had progression and every time I've gone in I've been on my own I've not had anyone there with me so yeah it's hard it's hard um and you know obviously you're everyone's going in all masked up and it's hard enough like having to walk around and I've got lung mets and, and asthma. It's hard enough to breathe without also having to wear a mask as well. So, yeah, I mean, those are the, those are the major differences. But I guess at the end of the day, you're still. Like, I'm grateful that I'm still getting treatment because I know that there are a lot of people that their treatment was stopped. So for me, I just think, yes, it's unfortunate that I can't take someone in with me, but at least I'm getting my treatment. Yeah, I hear that. And yeah. It does really sound like those are quite major changes, actually, but you mentioned, like, yeah. even having the separations between you both and yeah. then not having no one with you. I think that's probably one of, like... Yeah, that's the hardest, I think, yeah. just, you know, being there. And also, I, even if you wanted to speak to the people 
that's surrounding you. Like obviously someone's wearing masks, but it's so like it's so different. So even though someone might be approachable, you don't really feel like they are because their face is covered and like you don't know who's next to you, right? So Yeah. So yeah, it's not been easy. But you know what? The last year has not been easy for anyone. So um it kind it's kind of just felt like just it's just another thing that we're having to deal with. So I hear yeah. you. I hear you on that. So when like kind of looking at the world right now and I guess like you said everyone's kind of masked up and yeah it's like everyone's been extra careful you got people in the gloves you've got all these two meters apart and stuff like that yeah. and some of these things are like typically normal for someone who's going through treatment because yeah. of where the immune system suppressed you kind of like have to be careful anyway like how do you kind of find it in the whole world having to do this kind of action I have to say it's felt like heaven. Like I'm someone that's like got slight OCD. I'm just like, thank God. People are now washing their hands. They cover their mouth when they sneeze and they cough. They have to wear a mask. I like it's just like heaven for me. I don't, I'm like on top of that, like when I don't want to go out, I don't have to give an excuse because nobody is going out. I'm just, I guess it's been easier. And I haven't felt like I'm missing out on anything because yeah. everyone's been home. Yeah. Everyone's had to stay indoors. So it's not like I've wanted to go on holiday, but I can't because I've got treatment. No one can go on holiday. Everyone's at home. So in that in that respect, it's kind of, it's eased the pain of the things that you can't do because of treatment. But other than that, I'm like the gloves and the mask. I'm just like, oh, thank you. I'm actually grateful <laughs> for them. <laughs> I don't oh have to God. shake hands anymore. <laughs> I'm like, it's great. <laughs> oh it's God. terrible. I shouldn't say these things, but I'm just like, because these are all types of hygiene that, you know, obviously people that are going through treatment, we do, we worry about, like you worry about being on the train, you worry about, yeah. you know, just being in a compact space or someone being ill near you or sick yeah. kids and like little things like that. And just the fact that everyone's having to be mindful of them. So it's yeah. not that you're being, you know, funny about it and saying, oh, can you stay back a bit? It's that it was standard the things that you needed became standard. So, and I know that a lot of people found it difficult, but I was just like, welcome to my world. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it was just like, this is what we have to do anyway. So, um, but now it's kind of opening up. People are like, oh yeah, it's opening up. We all said, hello, I'm still in treatment. Like I still, exactly. have, to, I still have to be mindful about the number of people that I see and all, the, all those kind of things. So um, yeah. So yeah, it's, for me, it's never ending because I'm always going to be in treatment. So I guess it's just always finding a way around it so um I hear that. so yeah like I have to say with regards to the changes of COVID I'm just like people just continue to wash your hands cover your mouth <laughs> like all these things it's like I'm so grateful for them <laughs> oh god in fact I remember we had a conversation you was like and we were both like like how you been finding it? and I was like well it's been quite nice having to stay at home yeah I like, got an excuse to not have to go somewhere. <laughs> like, I remember I was just exactly. laughing. Like, my friends were just like, oh, it must be so hot. I'm like, it's not hard. I actually like being at home. The only thing I miss is traveling. Because like you said, before COVID, I was traveling every other month, if not more, yeah. if I could. Like, that's, the, that's how I get my mind off all the stress and dramas of what I'm going through. Just travel, go to different places, different corners of the world. Um, and that's what I love to do. And I guess covid's put a stop to all of that so um and in all honesty because of the types of treatment that i've been on most recently i wouldn't have been able to do that i was having treatment literally every week so okay um, yeah so yeah but yeah like i'm i'm fine being at home i don't have a problem with it like i don't even need to go for walks i'm like i can just walk in my garden i do not have a problem i'm happy to be home <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh i love so, yeah. that save my money I'm like I don't I'm like I, I like my own cooking so I'm not I'm not being bothered about the restaurants I've been fine <laughs> yep no I definitely hear that as well yeah like um I know you you mentioned earlier like with the waiting times with your skin and stuff you had mm-hmm. to kind of really push for stuff yeah like how did it make you feel kind of having to have these longer waiting times and have to fight so hard as well I guess to even getting some answers it was frustrating and in all honesty I hadn't been happy with the original hospital that I was at anyway yeah and to me it was just like this was just another reason like I didn't feel like I should have been pushing for a scan I'm like you know I hadn't had a scan for six months on top of that I'd already been on my medication for two years and normally after two years is when 
treatment tends to stop working. So I should have been having a scan and me coming to say to you, please, can I have a scan? And it became a whole big hoopla where I, I was having an argument with the secretary and them saying, we said we'll be in touch with you. I'm like, yeah, you said you'd get to me. You'd be in touch with me, but I've not heard from anyone in months. So this is me trying to get my due care and I'm being told off for it. So it was very frustrating. And what I've learned through all of this is how important it is to advocate for yourself. Like yeah. no one else is going to do it for you. Like the NHS is so pressed and I'm so grateful for them. But the truth of the matter is like, we are just another patient and, you know, there's so many of them. So I am like, if you don't push for yourself, sometimes you can just get lost in the system. So if you can't advocate for yourself, please make sure that a family member, a friend or someone is there with you or making those phone calls so they can advocate for you because otherwise you do get forgotten about. So I'm just like, and I do it, but it's hard. It's hard and sometimes upsetting. So even though you're there just pushing for what you need, when you're done doing all of that, you're like, I shouldn't have to do this. Yeah. I shouldn't have to. It's not fair. Like, it's just not fair. And I kind of, sometimes I do kind of feel like if I was someone else that was going in tears or wasn't, didn't have the same confidence and that kind of stuff, I think they would be more mindful of how you, I'm spoken to or how I'm treated. I just think sometimes they just, you know, it's the whole, they see a strong black woman and they think, oh, she's fine. But meanwhile, I'm suffering at home too. You know, I'm waiting for my scans. I, these are things that I need, but I'm not even being offered them. So I'm having to push for them. These are, This is standard care. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's frustrating, beyond frustrating. But, you know, I have to say, and all since I've moved hospitals I don't have the same problems like I literally I'm sitting there I'll get a text message for an appointment and then like I'm just like this is like heaven this is like royalty <laughs> treatment <laughs> oh gosh so, like is that why you had to move the hospital then because of the way you're being treated or like I said I've been that's why I wanted to leave and I've been trying to leave okay. but it is quite hard when you're trying to change trust Firstly, they don't like to do it because I guess your trust has to pay for it. So they have all these reasons why they don't want to do it. But because I was initially being moved for a trial, that made it easier. So even though I didn't end up doing the trial, the hospital were like, would you like to stay? I'm like, of course I want to stay. Don't send me back to the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) So since then, I've been grateful. And obviously being in a cancer specialist hospital, there's no chance of treatment being stopped. Like Like that's all they do, right? So it just treatment keeps going on regardless of what pandemic and what's going on in the rest of the world you will get your treatment yeah that's true yeah so if you could change how cancer patients have been treated in these times like what kind of things would you say or want to be changed for them which I guess is a hard question it is a hard question but I think through all of this like sometimes cancer patients have just been forgotten about they think that covid patients are more important than cancer patients and we're not we're also one of the same because we're afraid of covid as well right but on top of that we've got the stress of cancer as well and i think we have been forgotten about they've acted as if it was okay just to stop treatment and not to give people with um, primary diagnosis not to give them surgery immediately not to stop their treatment but all of these things are a matter of life and death. Yeah. Like, yes, you know, you're keeping them at home, locked away from COVID. But by keeping them at home, locked away, you're locking them away from life-saving treatment. So I think, I guess things that we could change is that think about us, right? Remember cancer patients and how important our treatment is. Or listen to people. If someone comes in with a problem um, or someone's asking for a scan, like make sure that they're given it. Because it's going to, you know, it's going to be a big problem like they're saying the number of deaths post like in the next five years is going to be so much higher purely because people either haven't reported their cancer or they've not been given yeah. treatment or you know multitude of reasons so you know I think mostly just listen to people or and also they should have been I guess more encouragement for people to go to hospital even if they'd even kept some hospitals purely for other illnesses right rather than shutting down loads of the main hospitals saying only come in for COVID because all our beds are gone, then we could have been treated. I didn't even right? realize that. To be, fair, they, to be fair, they didn't close the hospitals, but um, say the hospital that I was at before, they, you know, the hospital was still running, but because they had so many COVID patients, they were like, don't come in because it's too dangerous for you. So if I'm not going in, I'm not getting my scans. You don't know if yeah. I've had progression. 
you know. And if somebody's sick, whether it's with a heart attack, an asthma attack or whatever, or something to do with cancer, if they know that that hospital is full of cancer patients, they're going to be so afraid and just not go in. So if they yeah. had found a way to make sure that people could still be seen to, you know, people could still have their routine smear tests, their routine scans, their routine mammograms, all of those things, these things needed to continue. And because they haven't, it's going to mean that a lot more people die or a lot more people end up with a later stage diagnosis. And that's, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. So, sure. I, yeah, I, it's it's a hard one though, but it's always in hindsight, isn't it? But I guess uh, what changes could we make, right? It's a lot of it's out of our control. So, but yeah, I think God willing, please just remember there are other illnesses and make sure people get seen and make sure there's time for other people and that oncologists aren't sent to other departments or you know to look like because they're still needed in the oncology department so they shouldn't have been you know looking after COVID patients right yeah it's almost like a health bias like they were saying who was more important which is totally unfair but it's like in the world like in every situation we look at it's like they love to put things on a pedestal yeah. of what is more important, more important what's not. And, and you can't, who, who are you to, val- to value yeah. somebody's life, right? So exactly. I think, you know, during COVID, I know like everyone was so afraid that, especially those with um, metastatic stage four cancer, because, you know, I myself was afraid that if I ended up with COVID and I end up in hospital, that I wouldn't be given treatment. I wouldn't be given a ventilator. I wouldn't be given a bed. I wouldn't because they would think that you've got stage four cancer, so you're going to die anyway. So we're going to save the bed or the ventilator for somebody else that stands a chance, which, you know, in a way I can understand, but my life is valuable too. To my family, friends and people that love me, I am valuable too. And if those people making the decision, if it was their family member, they'd give them a bed, right? But when, because they don't know who they won't. So, but it's like, it's no one wants to be in that position where they have to make the choice, but that's how they value it, right? They look at you thinking, well, you're a goner anyway, so we're going to give the bed to someone younger, or um, which is sad because there are yeah. cancer patients that did survive COVID. There are elderly people that did survive COVID. Like you, They don't know. They knew nothing about it. They didn't know what the difference was that some people survived and some people didn't. So exactly. why would you give us all, all a chance to get through this, right? Exactly. That's completely true. Yeah. I love what you said there. Yeah. How do you like keep so uplifted? Like, what are, like your <laughs> tips, like mindset? Like, I don't know. It's I have to. I won't lie. It's been hard during COVID, just because yeah. the things that I normally do, I haven't been able to do. Like I said, I like to travel, um, yeah. or you know, even though I am a home person, I do occasionally like to go out with friends, right, and see them. But you're just afraid of everything. Like my friends that have kids that go to school, even now, I'm just like, mm, I'll just stay away from you guys, just because I feel like I can't take the risk, but. Yeah. You know, the truth of the matter is that I don't know how long I've got, so I shouldn't be wasting my time, right? I should, and no one does. No one knows if they have tomorrow. So we all should be living our life today and doing exciting, fun stuff. And that's what I want to get back to doing. Like I've got my best life list with lots of fun stuff on there, but oh, I love that. a lot of them have had to do with traveling the world. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to see the Northern Lights. I want to, you know... For some reason, I've put on there a bungee jump and a sky jump. <laughs> I think I'm going to take them off. I'm not sure. I got excited when I saw Will Smith do it on his oh YouTube my, channel. Yeah, I saw but that. I've had a whole year to be at home and think about it properly. And I, now I'm like, mm, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I can do this, but you know what? You only live once. If so. you sky jump, I'll do it with you. Um, <gasps> so these oh, would, would you really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte, you're putting on this podcast for everyone to hear. It means you have to do it. (laughs) Let's do it. it. You've put the the X on the wall, as my dad said. You're marking the X on the wall. You're going to do it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's do it. And whilst we do it, we can raise money for charity. I say, let's do it. Um, Yeah, that'll be amazing, Anthony. And you know what I love? I love that you called it your best life list. Yeah, I'm like, so what's nice. a bucket list? What's a bucket it? got to do with it, right? <laughs> no, so I yeah, I'm like, you know, it's all sorts of crazy stuff that I just want to do, including like if anyone wants to gift me, I'd really love a Chanel classic flap. 
here waiting for it. <laughs> so just random stuff, just random stuff I'd like to have. You know what? Some of them are like, if I don't get it, it doesn't matter. But yeah. um, it's just something to focus on, right? So literally, that's why I said like literally every other month I was traveling somewhere because the rest of it's not important. To me, like, yes, of course you need money to live. I'm fortunate I have family that do support me, but yeah, I, you know, what's the benefit in having a thriving my my cake business does do well I still have customers that sometimes I I I do hide from but um (laughs) uh, yeah but the truth of the matter is like it's great to have all of that but you know if I go tomorrow what are the things I want to say that I did and I enjoyed and I really loved Mm. and so yes it's juice and cakes but also I want to see the northern lights I want to spend time with family and friends I want to go on nice holidays and you know just do fun stuff right so why not and just be happy that's the most important like happiness is the most important right yeah I love that what do you think like the first thing is that you would maybe do like when everything kind of opens back up and if we get some normality I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to hear that we're going to go into another lockdown or nothing like that but I know I don't open up but you know I'm hopeful now that um I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on the vaccine, but I've had mine. I've had both doses. So I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, they. I actually want this vaccine passport because if that means that I can travel safely, then I'm happy. Like, I always used to travel for my birthday. My birthday's in October. So I last year did not get to go anywhere. But now I'm like, right, the plan is maybe the Maldives, maybe Hawaii. There's like, I want to go somewhere. I want to go somewhere and have a great time. So I think the first thing I do is to book a holiday somewhere like that would that would definitely be it and I guess I'm trying to think what else I do like I really want to go to a beach and I'm not even a beach beach holiday person but I just you know when you just want to I want to be outside but not necessarily outside by the Thames (laughs) I want to be out and about having an amazing time and being on the beach I really want to be in the sun on the beach so I think book a holiday and then also do you know what just have see my girls like yeah my girlfriends who I've not you know I one of them I've been for a walk with but I haven't seen them properly in ages like and these are girls that I went to like secondary school with I haven't spent time with them obviously you have them on zoom and you speak to them but not the same I'd like to have like a nice girly girly yeah. night out even if it's just dinner or drinks or whatever or even around their house right because for so long we've not even been able to go to people's houses yeah. right so um, and my grandmother my grandmother's 98 she's gonna be 99 this year oh, wow. I haven't seen her in so long so um I think probably that I just I'm looking forward to the next time I can go and see her so because I guess apart from me we're worried for her yeah so we as a family have not been to see her for a while. So um, I really want to see her. I've missed her. So, yeah, I think the first things on my list is holiday and family <laughs> and friends. Yeah, so, yeah, I love that. Well, it's been amazing speaking with you. That went really quickly as well, by the way. Oh, my gosh, we've done already. I'm like, I know. what else like can we talk about? There must be more. So it's amazing where can people find you um i am on social media although i have been having a instagram holiday of late (laughs) um you can find me on um, instagram which is jen cronje so j-e-n-n-c-r-o-n-j-e that's my handle i'm also on facebook okay and i have a blog which is called beanjennifercrongy.com and to be honest you can find all my links on my instagram handle um which i'm sure you'll put below the podcast so people can link to yeah um including my cakes and everything else but um yeah but yeah i am on social media so i can be found quite easily (laughs) you can even google me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Oh, I love that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Jane. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you too. Yeah, let's hope we can get that. Wait, what was it that we said we'll do? You yeah, agreed to do a sky jump, remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even now, now I'm afraid. I'm like, oh my gosh, I really have to do this. <laughs> but we're doing it. We're doing yeah. it. All right then. Well, have a lovely day. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So next up, we have Anita Howell, who was first diagnosed with breast cancer at the end of 2016 and recently found out in March that she has advanced breast cancer. Anita is a wife, a mother to two children and an author. Hi, Anita. Hi, Hi, Charlotte. How are you doing? Uh, Yeah, tired, but not too bad. (laughs) Good, good. And thank you for joining the podcast at such short notice. I literally only messaged you yesterday, so 
appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so can you go into some more detail about your journey with cancer so far um, and how it's been up to now? Okay, so I found a lump in under my right armpit um, in November 2016. Yeah. And went to the GP. We all hoped that it was just a cyst, um, but I had bloods done, um, got referred for an ultrasound at the breast clinic. Um, and then when I went for the ultrasound, unfortunately, um, the radiologist had to tell me that there was two lumps in my breast as well as the two lumps in my breast weren't palpable yeah. to myself or to the surgeon. I saw the surgeon very briefly before the ultrasound or the GP. So that was a big shock to find that there was something there as well. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I started chemotherapy in January 2017. I had six cycles of FET-T and then Dr. Taxel, three of each. Um, I was quite ill with the FET-T. Well, with both of them, actually. I ended up having neutropenic sepsis twice with admissions over the six cycles. But every cycle I ended up in A&E due to having temperatures and having to have IV antibiotics and fluids and stuff. Yeah. So I was really glad when when that finished. and then I had my surgery. I had a wide local excision and the lymph nodes removed. I had 11 lymph nodes in total removed and six were still positive for cancer after when the pathology came back. Yeah. And then I had 20 days of radiotherapy at the end of August 2016, 2017, sorry. Yeah. Then I went on to tamoxifen. August 2017 as well I started to not with the more recent diagnosis how did you what kind of symptoms were you getting beforehand and when did they start yeah this has been again it's been very weird and it's not followed normal patterns unfortunately um I've had a lymph node under my right side of my jaw that's been I could feel it from December 2018 and I had, and I was getting like pains in my, around my clavicle and stuff. So yeah. I got sent for a bone scan then and had a CT and everything was normal. And then every, I was having six monthly checkups with the oncologist as well as my annual mammograms. And every checkup I was still saying to them that, I can still feel this this lymph nodes. It's really weird. I, I can still feel it. And so eventually in September 2020, I had an ultrasound of that side of my neck. And that ultrasound in September 2020 obviously was during COVID time. So yeah. it was strange being there on my own without my husband there and, and stuff. But Again, the the radiologist said that it was normal and nothing looked suspicious. Yeah. So, you know, just kept an eye on it myself. And then in January this year, I developed lymphedema after my surgery first time around. And one night in January, I was sleeping on my bad arm. And when I woke up in the morning, I had this quite a big swelling if you like it's not it wasn't a lump it wasn't small it was quite a big area that had just become swollen around my clavicle and it had just come up overnight and it was more like it was a reaction to a brute you know as that kind of swelling rather yeah. than you know I hadn't been hit by anything and then it was quite hot to touch and starting to get red so we started to get just concerned that it was an infection and I ended up going to A&E and in A&E they thought it might be a seroma but they didn't want to do anything there so they'd said they'd given me a course of IV antibiotics and a course of oral antibiotics to go home on yeah and said call the breast clinic Monday morning they can if it is a seroma they can drain it for you there and you know and left it at that 
So Monday, I called the breast clinic and was given an appointment to come in on the Friday um, when the breast surgeon was there. And there was the same surgeon that did my initial op and saw me the first time around. And he sent me down for an ultrasound. And this time they said that there was a lymph node underneath the swollen area that looked suspicious and didn't look right. Um, but unfortunately, there was the lymph node was part of the chest wall muscle. Okay. Chest wall area behind um, the minor pectoral muscle. Yeah. And there was a, a quite a prominent blood vessel, major blood vessel that was lying across it. So they couldn't do a needle biopsy of it. So they sent me for a CT and then sent me for a PET scan. Um, The PET scan showed activity in the lymph nodes in my neck, which I'd been complaining about all along. Yeah. But it was very weakly showing. So they weren't sure about that. So I ended up, it's very convoluted, but I ended up going to see an ENT surgeon to see to see if it was those nodes were reactive rather than malignant. And he hoped that they were and he thought that they were, but he said, you know, you need to have another ultrasound. So I had another ultrasound. And this time, luckily, as the same radiologist that did the ultrasound in September. And this time she said, actually, the nodes aren't normal. They're abnormal now. And she biopsied them. And she said, there's two now, whereas there was only one in September. And she says, there's two now and they're both abnormal. Um, So she biopsied those. And then I got a call when when the biopsy results were back to say, yeah, it is breast cancer. So I had a date for surgery, which was ended up being on the 9th of April to have the chest wall nodes taken out. But a few days before surgery, I had another ultrasound on my neck because they were thinking of maybe taking the two nodes beneath my jaw out as well, if it was possible, and having ENT in the same theater to do it at the same time. Yeah. But when they did another ultrasound, they found that there were three more nodes that had appeared and were um, suspicious. So they said that doing a radical neck dissection wouldn't be appropriate and obviously would be a major surgery. So they took, they did the surgery on the, the clavicle nodes, took those out, and then I had a phone call yesterday and I saw the oncologist today. Yeah, we, we now... I've actually found another node on the opposite side now. Yeah. Still in my neck, but on the left-hand side now. So now that i found that one as well, and that was... I had an ultrasound of that on last Friday. And so I spoke to the oncologist over the telephone yesterday and then saw him today and um, met the secondary breast cancer nurse. So it's now officially... Yeah, secondary breast cancer, and um, I'll be having a different type of hormone therapy as well as some other meds that go alongside it to see whether that will keep it at bay for a while and a CT in six weeks. And if the CT shows that everything's stable, then we'll continue on that regime. But if it's showing that it's not working, then I'll have be switched to oral chemo. Wow, it sounds like you've been through a lot of testing and back and forth with the hospital over like the last few months especially yeah it's, it's yeah. been pretty constant <laughs> have you found that it's um your experience with the hospital is only different since um everything with covid i guess it it does seem it does seem very strange being there on your own yeah um i mean obviously i totally understand why and i wouldn't actually want it any other way because during this whole COVID thing both my husband and myself have been in the clinically extremely vulnerable group okay yeah because my husband's a transplant patient so yeah so he's seriously ill as well (laughs) um but yeah so you know obviously I wouldn't want I totally agree with the reasons that they say I need the patient to come and yeah um not extended family and certainly not children and and all of that but it does seem very very different yeah it it seems very and and absolutely I I wouldn't want them not not to be masked myself and I wouldn't want you know the the clinicians not to be masked either 
But again, it's very strange talking to people through masks and, yeah. and stuff. It's, it is very odd, but it is, it is what it is. And it is, you know, the life that we've learned to live with now, in, in this last yeah. year. So it's true. Have you found that the hospitals are moving any slow when it's come to your results or have they still been quite good when it's come to getting your results and appointments and stuff like that? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, I was talking to my oncologists and they were saying that, you know, when the first lockdown happened, you know, everyone that wasn't essential staff did get redeployed and things you know, lots of lots of specialties, not just cancer. Lots of specialties had, you know, non-emergency surgeries cancelled, and and, yeah. and everything just took longer. But I think they've learnt from that. I mean, it's what they had to do. They did. No one knew what we were dealing with back in March 2020. Yeah, yeah. But a year later, yeah, everything's been improved, prompt and there's been no delays. It's been great. That's good. Do you have to do testing and stuff before your appointments? Or so I had to have when I went to AE that time in January, I did have a COVID test yeah. whilst I was there, but it was only because I was presenting with the temperature as well. Oh, okay, okay. But ever since then, you know, and I we've both had both of our vaccinations now. So they do ask whether, you know, anyone's got any COVID symptoms in the family. Or, you know, have you been to any countries abroad that in the last 14 days or anything like that? But I think if you answer negative to all of those questions, they're, they're fine for you not to need to do a lateral flow test or anything. So, yeah, I hear that. So how do you feel like you've been kind of coping, having to juggle everything with family life, um, especially when the kids are home to school from home and stuff like that? How did you find all of that? So our daughter's 14. So for her, I mean, all along, because all our children have ever known is that their dad's seriously ill. It's yeah. what they've grown up with. And then I became ill in 2016 when they were both young. But they, yeah, we've always been honest with them, with, you know, because especially, you know, when Simon wasn't able to, pick them up and do things like that yeah. you know you need to be able to explain why their daddy can't do things that other daddies can yeah um so we've always been honest with them and always in a in an age-appropriate manner always told them and if, they, if they've asked any questions we've always told them you know all the medical knowledge that that they needed so I think them being at home I th- it was hard sort of January, February time when James was at home as well. Yeah. Because he's only eight and he found homeschooling really difficult and he really struggled with engaging with that. But after we had our first jab, he went back to school. It's been easier to be able to fit in appointments um, okay. and do things like that because he's at school. But he, do- you know, when we tell him that I've got an appointment, he does start to get a bit oh you know is everything okay what why why have you got yeah I don't want to go to school because you've got an appointment you know and so especially if he thinks it's something major like the surgery but when we say oh no it's just a blood test or you know I've, I've just got to have a chat if that's all it is then he's yeah he's fine about being at school and he knows that being at school is distracting and he gets to see his friends and so yeah that's good and you and your partner actually wrote some books, didn't you? Um, I think one was about the kidney transplant and that was about breast cancer. Can you tell us a bit about the book? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we've actually written three books about kidney disease and its treatments. So basically, when my husband first had dialysis, our daughter was three and we looked for books like on Amazon and in libraries and other bookshops and places that would help her to understand what hemodialysis is, what transplants are, what peritoneal dialysis is and what, you know, how our family life might change and yeah. what daddy might not be able to do, but 
you know, alternatives to what, you know, things that we could put in place instead. And there's absolutely no books available. And I approached various charities to say, you know, can you recommend anything? And they had literature for paediatric patients, but again, only very basic literature and like sort of colouring in, but no, nothing you could sit and read a story where the child would go, oh, that child's like me. Yeah. They're going through exactly the same thing I'm going through. Yeah. And so my husband's um, a doctor and I trained as a nurse. So it was easy for us to use our medical knowledge to be able to explain everything to Sarah in an age-appropriate way as she was going up and things were changing. Yeah. But in beginning of 2016, Simon changed the mode of dialysis he was on to a different back to hemodialysis. Um, and our son was four at the time and Sarah was eight. And um, we looked again because we thought, oh, actually, you know, it would be really good to be able to sit down with James now and, and just be able to look through a picture book with him. And again, there still wasn't any. So we, we'd been thinking about writing it ourselves all along and we just thought, you know what, well, we, we just have to do it. Yeah. So we wrote one book about hemodiasis. Yeah. And then later on in 2016, we self-published a book about peritoneal dialysis. And then in 2017, we did a book about kidney transplants and about organ donation. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And then in 2017, when I was having my treatment, it was like, well, we've done those three books. I might as well write notes as I'm having chemo and as I'm, you know, going through my treatment process to do one about breast cancer. And though there are other books about breast cancer, it's not the same situation where there's nothing out there. The book that our daughter was given was a comic star book. And actually, she she did engage with it quite well. But the picture book that our son was given he didn't engage with it at all and I mean I'm, I'm sure lots of other families have found it really really useful but in our per- personal circumstances he found the illustrations to be quite dark and somber and so yeah in our book you know we, we talk about what cancer is and whether or not you know the fact that you can't catch it like you can catch a cold yeah. and you know and you don't get it because you've been naughty or somebody else has been naughty. And we talk about chemotherapy and some of the possible side effects and radiotherapy and some of the possible side effects and, the, and having a mastectomy or having a lumpectomy. And But the pictures are all quite bright and colourful. They're, they're not... The colour palette, if yeah. you like, is a bright colour palette. Yeah. And, I mean, one of the pictures of which is in the bit where I explain that about me discovering the lump onto my arm, you know, there's a there's a close-up of what what cancer looks like under a microscope. Okay. So it's it's quite medical and there's a glossary and the kidney books are the same. Okay. You know, we deliberately made them as medical as as the information we gave to our children, but there is a glossary at the back. Okay, that's great. So all the words that are medical that you might not have come across will be highlighted in in bold and then there's the the glossary at the back of each book to to explain what those words are and and the kidney books we did a set also with notes for parents and professionals because we just thought you know there are some people one of the differences between something like kidney disease and something like breast cancer is um, is that you can obviously you, you can be diagnosed with secondary breast cancer which is kind of like crash landing into the cancer diagnosis yeah but you can also you can do that with with kidney disease where you don't actually know that you're at end stage until you have a blood test or you know yeah and so finding out that you need to transplant or you need to have dialysis can be quite shocking and you might not have any idea of how to you know what to do on good days with your kids and what to do on bad days and so we just thought that would be quite useful to just give examples of what we found our kids responded to and and tricks and tips with you know communicating with school and and stuff like that that's amazing that's really good we'll definitely put all the details of where people can purchase the book and the podcast information as well in case anyone is interested or needs that um that'd be amazing 
Um, if you could just give one piece of advice to someone who's currently going through treatment, what would it be? Um, one piece of advice. I think I would say, I think I'd I'll probably say to them to be real with their emotions and their feelings. One thing I've I have found personally for me, I can sometimes find quite difficult is everyone around you can be quite positive yeah and I can understand it obviously you want the person that you know love whatever to beat this horrible thing and you want them to be well and you you want them it all to be done and dusted and finished but it can be difficult if everyone's around you is telling you to be positive and actually you're not particularly feeling it or you're worried or you're scared yeah yeah it's true that is definitely something that we see with a lot of our people you know everyone kind of says be positive be positive but no one's positive all the time everyone has their down days everyone has those days where they're not feeling so great and to force yourself to be positive it just can't work and it's better to release things rather than yeah so I definitely agree with that about being real with your emotions and feelings yeah absolutely can only help you so yeah thank you for that and I guess also just be honest if you do have children, make sure you can be as honest as you possibly can with them. I mean, I know it's not easy and I know our instincts as parents or or carers is to protect our children. Yeah. But they know when something's wrong and they know when, you know, you're not, you're sleeping more than normal or whatever it is. And their imagination is going to be far worse than all the things they're thinking about than actually if you sit them down and talk to them about it and there are lots of uh, not I mean not just our books but there are lots and lots of resources out there now to help you to you know there's Fruit Fly Collective and Winston's Wish and um, the Little Sea Club amongst many that you know have resources that can that can help you yeah I love that Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Anita. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Where can people find you? So you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's Meet Lucy and Jack. And the books are all available on Amazon. So if you put Anita Howell into the Amazon search box, our books will come up. Great. Thank you so much and have a lovely evening. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye.